listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. It is... Good to see all of you. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'll just invite you to get that open to Romans chapter 15, and that's where we will be uh, spending our time together this morning. We only have a couple of weeks left in the book of Romans before we conclude uh, our time in it as a church. I know for myself it's been a a, a big blessing. It has helped uh, my understanding of the God that we serve and live for. Uh, I have personally been very struck these past couple weeks in, in digging into these, these last couple of um, chapters of Romans, starting towards the end of chapter 13 and then all of 14, and, and now getting into chapter 15, what uh, Paul has continued to do is to uh, describe and encourage those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and how we are supposed to relate to and engage with other people who have placed their faith in Jesus. I think this is a reality we all have probably recognized within uh, the church setting that there is supposed to be um, a, a, a level and depth to relationship with other people who have placed their faith in Jesus. And in fact, we know that's one of kind of the the central teachings of the gospel and this reality of uh, the biblical message is that God, in his work through Jesus Christ, has not only reconciled us vertically to the Father, but also Jesus' work on the cross has has and should and will continue to work itself out uh, horizontally in our relationships to other people. So we know that is true for us for for all people, that we are supposed to have a a love uh, for humanity because Jesus loves humanity. And so we we talk about things like praying for those we care about who who don't know Jesus. But there is this, this special emphasis within the scriptures for how the the household of faith is supposed to engage with one another. I think we know that, but it's really uh, been instructive for me and um, both encouraging and and quite convicting as these past couple weeks um, in in my role and the opportunities I've had to present the Word of God. So I have to spend all all of the week, you know, multiple hours uh, of of my work week dwelling on how I am supposed to love brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know the comparison I feel when I come to the scriptures in, in my own heart and life is how, how lacking I have been at times in, in my love and patience towards brothers and sisters in Christ. And so these past couple weeks, these chapters have, uh, have really been quite striking to, to my own soul. And, and I hope we can um, just together take seriously this instruction. I know we do tend to focus at times on our relationship to God and my own need for a savior for my sin and how Jesus has made that way and so I'm supposed to engage in this relationship with God. But there's also this very clear biblical reality that um, how I view my relationship to God is going to work itself out in my human relationships that I have. And Paul has been speaking very pointedly towards that, how we engage in, in church. 
and he is going to continue to do that this morning. So as I have um, been dwelling on this, uh, really once we started about halfway through 13, how uh, Paul said, you owe nothing to anyone except for to love one another. It's just been going on from there. And as I prepared this week, uh, there was this um, biblical idea that kind of kept coming to my mind uh, that you can find all, all throughout the Old Testament. And it's the way uh, the Hebrew word uh, that describes the love of God. So we, we know love is a, a pretty central feature of the scriptures uh, and of who God is. It's one of those uh, of two description of what God is. God is love and God is holy. It's pretty central. And so we know that is a, a significant aspect of our faith. And so I feel like uh, I, I've often heard um, in times in church, it kind of broken down how, how the New Testament describes love. So uh, the New Testament written pr uh, predominantly in Greek, and there's these three different words we translate into the English word love. And so you've probably heard those kind of things. There's phileo and eros. And then we talk about God's agape love, his unconditional love for us. Uh, in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, which is a different language, and there's different uh, context and nuance to some of these words, uh, the word that is used for the love of God is this Hebrew word hesed. And it's used all throughout the Old Testament. It's used over 248 times to describe the love of God. And it is this word that uh, scholars uh, and biblical people who've dug into, like, you kind of have to use like 18 English words to describe the full idea of God's love in the Old Testament. And so it's used um, in Exodus 34. It's described like this. It describes this comprehensive love that God has for his people. Exodus 34, 6 says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's typically how we describe this Hebrew word, we use a qualifier for the term love. We usually add on steadfast. And that's how it's used over and over again in the Old Testament and how God relates to his people, that he, his hesed is this steadfast love, and it's abounding, and it is merciful, and it is gracious, and it is patient. And so that is used over and over and over again to describe God's relationship to his people, God's love, God's hesed towards them. And it's even used at times uh, for uh, some of the human characters we get in the Old Testament. And so if you know the story of, of Ruth, um, and in her relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi, there's this time where um, Naomi's sons have passed away, her husband has died. And so Ruth, her daughter-in-law, um, is saying that she is going to commit her life to taking care of Naomi. And uh, Naomi is saying, hey, like, I've got nothing that I can give you. Like, I don't have sons. I don't have property. I'm going back to my homeland. My life has been ruined. You should just go and take care of yourself. And what the Bible says is that because of Ruth's hesed, for Naomi, she says, no, hey, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. And where you die, I'll die. And it's this human expression of this description of God's love for his people that has made its way into these other characters. And you can see it as this, this steadfastness that is descriptive of the way that God loves. So some of the ways this word has been translated to get a comprehensive picture of this singular word in the Hebrew, you could say it is both love, kindness, 
loving kindness, steadfast love, faithful love, loyalty, favor, mercy, beauty, righteous devotion, faithfulness, favor, covenant loyalty, grace, goodness, loving instruction, covenant friendship is how we would describe the way God loves his people. This is the word that is used 26 times in Psalm 136, which is this call and response to the people of God. It says, you know, uh, give praise to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And it continues to describe all these actions God has taken. If you've ever read through that Psalm and for all the actions uh, that God has taken on behalf of his people, his people's response is the steadfast hesed of the Lord endures forever. And my mind has continued to go back to that idea this week because I think we know that if we are uh, uh, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, we are supposed to emulate the attributes of this God we serve. And so when it comes time to talk about uh, the relationships we have with others, the primary feature that followers of Jesus are encouraged to emulate is the love of God. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And we probably have different associations with that word, and there are different ways we utilize that word in in both the the romantic way, but really in in this biblical sense that I think Paul is drawing out for us is how it is so often translated in the Old Testament. It's in a steadfast way, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, and how we are supposed to engage in the relationships God has called us to, specifically in the household of faith, should be with steadfastness. And so I think that will be an appropriate backdrop for us this morning for Romans chapter 15. So I would just love to take the time to walk through this passage and ask God to instruct our hearts and convict us where we need to be convicted and to lead us closer to him and closer to others in relationship. So this is where Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 15. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the context of this is talking about believers to other believers. It is not talking about Christians to non-Christians at this point, following verse uh, chapter 14. And so Paul has already kind of used this dichotomy of people who are within the faith of some people being stronger than others and some people being weaker than others. And so um, before he talked about it in the context of some people feeling very restricted and kind of a a fear towards God that they might get out of line and a a stronger person being more uh, moved into the freedom of the gospel. And so he's still using that dichotomy, but kind of in a different way. And so that's what he says. He's like, hey, those who are stronger, that's kind of an aspect of spiritual maturity, if God has brought you along in this journey of Christian living and pursuing Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, if that's the place God has you on, you have a responsibility that you need to bear with, to carry, to endure when other people who maybe God has not moved into the same place as you fail. Now, what I think is interesting about this is that probably for all of us in this room, when we read this, we're probably going to self-select which category we are falling into. But the reality is, if um, uh, the action that has taken place that others need to bear with is failure, all of us are at some point going to fit into that weak category. 
And we probably can recognize that depending on the situation or the context or the uh, just group of people God has brought together, we may or may not fall into either one of those categories. I know I do that kind of in other situations of life on if I need to like take a decision-making role or a leadership role or if I can stand back. You know, I kind of look around the room, be like, okay, who has the most maturity? Okay, it's not me. I can take a step back and it's not going to fall on me to be responsible for this situation. So we can kind of do that in different areas, like, you know, uh, if it's a building project, okay, like, who has the most experience? Okay, he has to make the decisions, and it's on him if things go well or not. And the reality is, within our, our Christian life, depending on the situation, depending on the context, even if currently you don't feel in your own walk in life that you view yourself as a strong Christian, God is probably going to call you to step into those areas of maturity at different times. And so I love, uh, there's this kind of visual image in the Old Testament, in in the book of Ezekiel, uh, this prophetic book and how God's speaking through Ezekiel. And at times it talks about uh, the, the, the people of God and when things have gone wrong. And so uh, in Ezekiel 22, it uses this image. It says that God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. It's like this wall has been broken down and it's going to cause havoc for other people, for the household of God. And so God is looking for people to step up into those situations and to bear uh, the brunt of circumstances for the benefit of others. And I think that's what Paul's talking about right here. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So once again, depending on our current circumstances or just where God has brought us to, we might fall into either one of those categories. And those categories are probably going to change for us over time. And you just thought about the reality of, of children and parents. And there's going to be a season of life when your parents are always going to be in that position of being stronger, that they have more experience and they are helping make decisions and they have to bear the weight of uh, their children's actions. And that's just a reality of being a parent, that you're going to take that over and over and over again and being in that position of strength. But now I know a lot of you have begun in, in that transition stage of life where although you might still be the child of your parent, uh, the situation has kind of changed. And now as, as parents uh, are beginning to get uh, older in their age, uh, children have to begin to take on that role of, of bearing with their parents and uh, returning that steadfast love that they received their whole life and standing in the gap for their parents in that role is going to be a bit reversed over time. And those things can happen within our Christian community, within the church. There might be a a season of life where you are in this position of weakness or immaturity, and there's somebody a little bit farther along that, man, you just rely on them in a heavy way. But then, you know, uh, just depending on how life situations unfold, there's going to be times where God is going to call us to maturity, that we have to be strong when our brothers and sisters are feeling weak. It could be situational, that uh, uh, maturity is, is not just linear, that you hit this step, then this step, then this step. Sometimes God grows a certain aspect of our character in a significant way. And so when it comes to those situations, we have to show strength in our love or show strength in our empathy or show strength in our hospitality. And there are others among us who uh, need to show strength in their, their knowledge of the scriptures and their ability to teach and communicate the word. We are supposed to bear with each other in that sort of way. And that's why God you know, forms the household of faith, that he gives us different gifts 
so that where I am strong, I can shore up the weakness of others, and where I am weak, I need brothers and sisters to be strong for me and to bear with my failings, which do and will continue to happen over time. Verse two says this, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And this is another theme that is utilized within the New Testament a lot is loving your neighbor. It is that person God has put around you. And the statement within the scriptures, um, within the great command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, uh, I think, just this practical way God instructs us because we can all recognize that um, I, my hope is that people will always judge me off of my best intentions. That's how I want to be treated, that, hey, I know I am going to have failings in my life, but I hope people can see my intention to love well and to honor Jesus. And so I think that's very instructive for the Lord on our behalf that we so often uh, will judge people based off their worst actions while hoping that they judge us off of our best intentions. And that's what Paul is saying. Let's please our neighbor for his good to build him up. The actions we take towards the people around us should be to uh, help encourage them in the faith, to build them up towards Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verse three. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul is quoting an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus from Psalm 69. And so what we know through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life is that Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus had no failings. Jesus committed no sin. And so you would think that in all of his human relationships, all the interactions would have gone as perfectly as possible. But we know that's not how the Gospels transpire. That although Jesus was sinless, that Jesus was perfect in his actions, in his dealings and relationships for others, he was hated. He was ridiculed. He was slandered. And so that Old Testament prophecy is talking about the life Jesus lived, that although he was not deserving of it, he bore the reproach of others. He bore uh, the disappointment of others. He bore uh, the disrespect of others. He bore the slander of others on our behalf. That relationally, Jesus took all of that on himself for the good of the people that he loves. That's what we're called to do as Christians even with other Christians. So how this has felt to me at different times, just emotionally and relationally, um, back in my days of playing high school football, uh, which don't, don't, don't be impressed, we were terrible, uh, but I did, I did play quarterback, um, and there was this, this principle you were taught at times a quarterback that, uh, you know, um, is this idea of staying in the pocket. And so I thought it was appropriate since college football is kicking off and the Cowboys will hopefully not be terrible um, to, uh, this evening to use a sports analogy. But there is this reality that when you were playing football, that it, when you had the ball and you were waiting for the play to develop, there might be the situation where you know somebody's going to come and hit you. And it was your responsibility as the quarterback in that moment to not avoid it that you had to stand there and wait for it and then take the hit 
because it would help out your team. And I think that's what Paul is talking about, that if Jesus has brought us to a point where we are confident in our relationship with him and the role we are supposed to play in the church, there are times that God is going to call us to stand there and take the hit relationally. That we are to bear with the failings of weaker brothers and sisters. And that gets tough over time. Because I'll just guess collectively, all of us in this room have taken some relational hits at times for, thing, for, for reasons we didn't deserve. That we have taken on the reproach of others, even though it wasn't ours to bear. And let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, that like if you have been in that relationship, in that situation, you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, as the word calls us to, especially if we can take the reproach of others and not return in kind, because that's what Jesus did. You know, although he was slandered and ridiculed, it says he, he didn't open up his mouth. He just, he, he, he took it. Do you know why? Because Jesus loves us. Not in a, a flippant or shallow love, but in a steadfast enduring love that is reflective of his character and who he is. And so God's going to call us to those moments at times when we have a person in our life who doesn't know Jesus in the same way that we know Jesus and is going to attack you relationally. And God tells us just to bear it because of love for them. Verse four says this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So already in verse three, uh, Paul is quoting Old Testament uh, prophecies about Jesus as an encouragement. That's what he is saying. He's saying, hey, what is written in this book is both written for your instruction, but also for your encouragement. And because I think the reality is that living out these ideas and uh, the relational fractures we are all going to experience in this life are going to take it out of us over time. And so Paul's uh, instruction as you are called to stand in those moments and called to show that steadfast love, even if somebody is not reciprocating it to you, he's saying, hey, um, this is going to be an encouragement to you if you actually live your life, stand on the promises that God has given us. And so even this idea of uh, hesed love, uh, this Old Testament idea, like that has been an encouragement to me this week as I thought about these scriptures and thought about how I've seen this work itself out within the church setting. It was like God was calling it to mind, like, hey, remember all those Old Testament stories where uh, people disobeyed me, disrespected me, turned from me, and I was faithful to love them over and over again? Like that was called to mind in my heart, in my life. And I went back and, and looked at the stories and remembered the realities of how God has been faithful to show his love to his people and not only just the stories of the Bible but the stories of my own life I've experienced God's faithful love towards me so we look back at the instruction and the glimpses of how God has worked and that will produce in our life endurance and encouragement but one of the things I find interesting you know Paul said what was written in former days the other scriptures was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I think all of us need a little more hope. But it follows that if you don't know what this book says, it's going to be hard for it to encourage you and to produce that hope. We are called to be a people of the word. 
This is an inexhaustible resource that God has provided for us that has uh, transcended cultures and languages and times and its wisdom still uh, breathes itself out in our lives through the working of the Holy Spirit. And my uh, number one encouragement to anybody who claims Jesus as Lord is to get really comfortable spending time in the Word of God. I would say it is the primary way God is going to speak to his people in this day and age. It is a sure testimony. It is a faithful witness to the God we claim to serve. And so if you are, are, are struggling in the areas of loving other people well, Paul is saying you need to get into the word of God. And if your exposure to the word of God is for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, I would say um, uh, on that weak, strong scale, your maturity, your maturation in the faith is going to be lacking. And so I think all of us at this point and moment in history have uh, such an incredible access uh, to tools and resources and churches um, to understand this book that all of us um, would do ourselves a great service to spend inordinate amounts of time sitting in the scriptures and letting them rest on our hearts. I love how uh, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. A Bible that is falling apart, is it usually belongs to a person who isn't. And it's that idea that, you know, you've, you know I, I always think about my great-grandparents who um, were um, such consistent followers of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the old family Bible that would come out at gatherings. And, you know, it's, it's dog-eared, it's highlighted, the binding's going. And that's just such a powerful image, knowing that the Bible looks that way because so many hours have been poured into, have been rested under, have been sent, spent searching and crying and praying and seeking to understand this great God that we serve. And so my encouragement to you is that if this is an area of struggle in your life, sit in the scriptures, read the stories, read the instruction, dig into the word, remember the steadfast love of God, read through the book of Ruth, read through the book of Hosea, and see how God has been faithful to his people and how he calls us to love others in the same way that he has loved us. Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Sometimes I feel like we just need to take a moment and let the beauties of the scriptures rest on us. And I'll just say, church, that if you hear those words that the Apostle Paul wrote for our edification, if there's somewhere in your heart that says amen to that declaration, I would let your mouth follow. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And the people of God say, amen, amen and amen. I am struck by the verbiage Paul used. He says, uh, not just in harmony, but in such harmony. 
harmony with one another. And as I have uh, shared at different times, my whole life has been spent within the church and I can't describe all of the years I have spent as belonging to churches as harmonious. But what the Bible says that if we recognize the way God has loved us, it would so um, impact my personal view of other people that the result should be a, a harmony, not a constant agreement on every issue, but a, a unity of the Spirit and a love for one another that would result in other people seeing it and glorifying a God that they might not even believe exists. Our unity within the church, our long-suffering in bearing faithfully each other's failings and burdens is a testimony to the world that there is a God who exists. And it's easy to take pot shots at the church because we are so dysfunctional, but also the fact that there are still churches is proof that God exists because if this was a human endeavor, we would have fallen apart centuries and centuries and centuries ago. But our spiritual union to one another is a already and not yet reality that God has bound our hearts together. We are interconnected regardless of how we feel about the people in the room because of Christ Jesus. He has reconciled us to the Father. He has reconciled us to each other. And I pray that at some points in our life, we would get a taste and a glimpse of the harmony that could be when we call Jesus Lord. So that is what Paul is encouraging, that we would have hope and endurance and unity for the glory of God. I'd like us to flip over to Ephesians chapter four because Paul reiterates this very same idea to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians four, verse one through three, he says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then this is what he says. He says, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, like I said, these um, past couple of chapters have uh, just really uh, been resting, I would say in some ways, heavy on me. Um, because I, I think it's a, a reality for all of us as people, but sometimes we do feel it kind of keenly within the church uh, of just growing cynical about human nature. You know, you get a, a front row seat to uh, our, our collective failings uh, enough times and you can just start to get a little jaded. And so we need God to soften us towards other people. We do need endurance. We do need hope. All of it can only come from the Lord. And so Paul's uh, uh, justification for this encouragement to be welcoming to one another as Christ has welcomed us, he, he, he backdrops with the promises of the Old Testament that God was going to welcome all people to himself through Jesus Christ. And so that's this second half of these passages we're talking about uh, as Paul looks back at all of the promises in the Old Testament that God wasn't just going to welcome in the Jewish people to himself, but his intent, his purposes, and plan was to kick the door wide open for all people to be welcomed in. And this is what he says in verses 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, 
Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And so it's following this verse 7 where uh, Paul's instruction is to welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. And he is saying, hey, this God uh, that if you are Jewish or not, that you claim to serve from the beginning, his intent and plan and purposes were to welcome people to himself through Jesus Christ. That was that last Old Testament prophecy he quoted through the root of Jesse. That was the promised Messiah that was going to come in Jesus, that God is saying, hey, that um, welcoming door that we should all have in our hearts and lives, and specifically on our churches, should be as wide open as possible to bring all people in to experience the love, the steadfast love of God in their own life, but experience it through the people that claim God as Lord. That should be as wide as possible. God shows his faithfulness, his truthfulness through Jesus and through the accomplishing of his promises through the work of the cross. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I don't know about you, but to me that feels like a really high bar. It's kind of like in, in Ephesians where Paul says, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm like, not gonna make it. So verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It will only be through the power of the Spirit of God that we could ever even partially live out the call of God on our lives. And so I love that in all of these justifications for how we are supposed to live, the motivating factor is always supposed to be Jesus. So going back to even those first couple of verses, he, you know, he says, uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let's each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but bore the reproach of others. Our motivation in our relationships to others cannot be on my character or someone else's actions, my motivation to have a steadfast love towards brothers and sisters in Christ has to be because of Jesus. The motivation of the Christian life is Christ himself. He is the author and perfecter. He is the cornerstone. He is the chief shepherd. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Why do we forgive people who don't deserve it? Because Jesus forgave me when I did not deserve it. How could we ever truly love an enemy as the gospel calls us to? Because Jesus loved me when I was his enemy. Why would I give generously of the little that I have? Because Jesus gave me his life. How can I bear the reproach of others? Because Jesus committed no sin, but bore the ultimate reproach for his bride, the church. Why should I welcome others into my life, into my friendship, into my home, and into my church? Because Jesus welcomed me.
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we turn to you. We need you. We are lost without you. God, thank you for your steadfast love to your bride, the church. God, that you have always been strong in our failings. God, help press us on to maturity, God, so that we can stand in the gap for others. That as brothers and sisters, we can be strong for one another. That we would bear reproach well, and we, do, we would do it because Jesus did it. God, I pray that a, a, a marker of our church would be a church that welcomes others. God, we understand uh, your, your word. We understand what sin is. God, we know that not everything is condoned by your word, God, but we can be a place that welcomes others because you welcomed us that you showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. God, that you made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become your righteousness. God, help us recover a steadfast love for you and for people made in your image. God, that it would have to be steadfast, God, because it's going to be tested and it's going to be tried and there is going to be failings in that regard, God. But grow us into endurance because of a hope that is built on you. Jesus, be glorified. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand up and respond with us in worship?